This is Rachel Parks, Head of Project and Programme Management. And Natalie Carpenter, Project Support Officer, both based in the Strategic Change Department at the University of Liverpool. And you are listening to the Academy's Developing Practice podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Academy's Developing Practice podcast. In this episode, we chat with Rachel and Natalie about strategic change and even though change is often difficult, how it can be managed using the right methodology. We hope you enjoy. Rachel and Natalie, we're really pleased to be speaking to you today. We're delighted to be hearing about your work in the strategic change team. Uh, But before we get started, we'd really like to get to know our guests. And so it would be great if you could tell us a little bit about your backgrounds and how you've arrived at the positions you're in today. So, Rachel, if we start with you. Yeah, sure. So um, I've been working within project management for about 15 years now. I started as an administrator and then worked my way up in local government uh, through various project roles, from project support officer to project manager to then program manager. Um, I joined the university about nine years ago um, as a project manager, working within our student administration and support division, mainly to look at setting up our student experience function within the new London campus Um, and then after doing that branched out into other business improvement type projects so working on things like well-being strategy well-being week um, looking at how we can improve processes and systems for our students and then within the last um, three to four years I've been working within strategic change as head of project and program management um, which I, I love it gives me lots of variety in my role I get to meet lots of different people and work right across the university on different projects and programs. Fantastic. I don't know that much about strategic change. So in most big companies, is there a strategic change uh, department or is in my previous institution, we didn't have a department. So I guess it's because of the size of our institution. Is that right? Yeah, I suppose it depends how you organise your um, project and programme management function. So some institutions will have that devolved and have project managers working independently within different departments, whereas others tend to bring that together into what we call a portfolio of work in a portfolio management office. And that just means that we all follow a standard uh, process for how we manage our projects and programmes and can bring about Uh, efficiencies through the way we do things, identify dependencies on the different work packages um, and support one another as a group of project professionals as well. Fantastic, that makes a lot of sense. And Natalie, how about yourself? Thanks Alex. So I started at university about three years ago and I actually studied at the university as an undergraduate as well so it was a really nice opportunity to come back in this role. So I started in 2019 as a graduate trainee which was really useful opportunity to look at different areas of the organisation. So I had four different placements and this meant that I had an opportunity to see faculties, schools and central departments as well which I found really useful to kind of make relationships and see the differences in those ways of working. And then in terms of how I came into this role, a lot of those placements focused on projects. So I did projects based on recruitment, on outreach and sustainability. So all really varied and interesting. And I thought that's what I enjoy doing. I like bringing about that change and seeing those kind of positive improvements that you can make. So when I saw the project support officer role come up in strategic change, I knew that was something that kind of suited what I enjoyed in work. 
Brilliant. And what did you study as an undergraduate? So I studied English um, and I graduated taught English in a secondary school for two years and then decided I'm not sure this is exactly the avenue I want to go down so that graduate scheme was perfect because I did kind of finance and HR there was it broadened my kind of horizons in what a university offers and delivers as part of professional services. That graduate scheme was really successful wasn't it and obviously you're proof of that success because you're uh, people who went through that scheme who, who have been employed by the university so I mean just tell me a little bit about that scheme then. I mean, how long were you in that scheme for? And then how did you manage to get the opportunity to then get a a full-time job at the university? So I was in the scheme for two years. So those four placements were each six months. Um, We had one placement that was a kind of operational-based one and then four that were project ones as well. So it gave me kind of a good variety. Um, And there was a lot of development opportunities as well, which I think was really important. So I did kind of a leadership qualification, which introduced things like change to me um, as a kind of knowledge base side of it as well as the practical skills based as well and then I also had a mentor um, and I found that really helpful to understand how the university kind of functioned and how all those different placements fit together and kind of give me that overall um, perception of it as well so that mentor helped me to identify opportunities after that scheme of kind of roles that would suit my interests but also the skills that I've developed as well so I would really you know recommend it as a scheme for people who want to come into this sector but aren't exactly sure what role they would like to go into. Yeah brilliant it must have given you so much so much insight into all the various different departments Um, I think that scheme um, obviously ran into difficulties with Covid Mm -hmm. but I do believe that we're you know that the the plans are, are being made to to reignite that scheme and get it going again, which is brilliant to hear. I think that's a fabulous thing. You know, having mm-hmm. our having our graduates, you know, eventually having all the experiences and those sort of uh, work life experiences to then work with us in full time roles is brilliant. We've we've done a lot with that math. So within strategic change since we've formed um, the last sort of three to four years, we have employed graduates um, on you know kickstart internships and and it's really good to get students that have recently graduated come into work within our team because it provides us with a completely new perspective and insight to how things are landing on the ground and some of our comms materials have have really been influenced by those graduate interns working in the department who have then gone on to progress into really great careers so it is a a good um, area to sort of get that expertise because it's quite well-rounded and you get to experience different parts of the university um, as well as the project management side which can take you on a number of different avenues in your career as well yeah i bet it can i bet it can i mean project management has been cried out for all over the country in all sorts of different areas isn't it and just coming back to that strategic change so i mean that the team the strategic change team was founded in 2017 and has then obviously implemented quite a a number of changes and initiatives from then to now so what what have you learned during that journey, Rachel, and how is your practice probably different now than it was at the beginning of that? Yeah, good question. I think uh, when we started, Matt, we we obviously um, we started with our director of strategic change, Karen Banks, and, and the early days were very much forming what we wanted the department to focus on and how we would add value to what 
services already existed in the university. Um, through that, we actually inherited a number of projects and programmes that were already running and constituted strategic change type activity, um, which came with, with pros and cons because obviously we, we were already set off on a journey on those projects and programmes and we've maybe not been involved in the inception or the business case. Um, so it was a case of seeing those through to completion and then starting to develop our methodology right from the outset so that we we set off in the right direction with the new initiatives that that came on board um i think reflecting on how things have changed we we started off with very much a project management focus and a, a methodology in terms of the process that we should be following for our projects and programs to be managed successfully and certainly over the last two to three years we've recognized that the scale and the complexity of the work that we're doing actually requires a lot more emphasis on change management and the stakeholder engagement and working very closely with those that are impacted by changes and affected by the changes that these projects and programmes are delivering. Um, so our comms and engagement team led by Shona Wilkie does an excellent job at um, bringing that community together to, to help um, people understand some of the, the more complex projects and programmes and get it down to what are we trying to improve, what are we trying to make better and what will that mean for the individual. I'd agree as well, Rachel, as kind of a new member of the team. I've only been in strategic change for nine months. It's really useful to have that kind of dedicated team. And I think the culture as well is really important to me. So we do all collaborate on things. We're always running ideas past each other. And I think that really helps in kind of fine tuning communications, but more broadly in kind of developing our plans as well. We do have that approach of building it together, working together. And also, as Rachel mentioned, we've got a wide group of stakeholders for the range of our projects and programmes. So we have a lot of voices that we can make sure we get kind of the right outcome. Yeah. It's a really interesting uh, team, actually, when you think about it, because although you're delivering on a lot of agendas and you know, you're know you managing those projects and programmes, you must be at that point where you're hearing a lot of organisational noise, for want of a better phrase. So you must be at a point where you... You sort of you're picking up on what is happening across all faculties, across all areas, and then presumably you're then sharing that information with each other to try and you know, help and improve everything that you're doing. Yeah, that, that's right, Matt. And I think um, one of the other things that has changed through the sort of evolution of the department is us taking on more of a, a business partner type role. So we're actually helping facilitate change rather than us being responsible for the change. And it's about having the, the tools and the techniques to bring people together to properly document what the requirements are, to understand where the, the pinch points are in terms of resources, and then making sure schedules align with, with those um constraints and those time scales but really having a um a, an approach where we are facilitating change rather than doing change to people is something that we're, we're proud of and, and we try our utmost to make sure that we properly respond and reflect on feedback that we get from projects as they as they're delivered and as as we reflect on what's worked and maybe what hasn't worked so well as well. I think that's really interesting. So if we reflect back on my old institution, um, where I was a head of department, the change very much came from the top. And then as heads, we were told to then um, instigate that change with our teams. And I have to say, because I've had no training in that, it was really, really difficult. 
Um, you know, if, I think we all find change quite difficult, don't we? And particularly when we're very busy as as academics and professional services colleagues, we're really focused on getting our tasks done. And then when your head of department comes in and says, oh, and by the way, we're going to change all of this. You know, we're going to introduce a workload allocation model or, you know, some massive change. I think people just get really resistant to that change. So I was wondering if, why do you think we find change so difficult firstly? And how do we overcome that in our work? Yeah, that that's a really good question. And I think, um, as I say, more recently, particularly with our, our programme and the shared project that Natalie and I are working on together, we have really faced um, some challenges in, um, you know, that pressure that people feel because of the amount that's going on and that the change projects are on top of the day job. So regardless of how planned we can be in trying to highlight resource requirements and, and make sure that we're planning working for when there's capacity within those resources, um, it's not always feasible and and there'll always be new things that come on board. So um, we we try our best to um, work very closely with stakeholder groups that involve the right people. Um, we have a very collaborative way of working so that we can take on board that feedback and make sure that plans are well thought through and, and that there's consideration for when things can happen realistically rather than just what the Gantt chart says might, might be uh, penciled in for a delivery date. But also recognising that everyone experiences change differently. You know, it there's a, a psychological reaction to change um, and and I think we tend to feel as though people perceive strategic change as as a negative or as taken away and we really fight hard to to explain the positives that we're bringing through strategic change and and we do appreciate and understand that everyone experiences it at different stages as well Matt did a, a good piece in our a latest change matters um newsletter about the, the Kubler-Ross change curve and, and people go through those different stages of experience and change and we appreciate that the stakeholders that we have involved in our project will then be dealing with their teams and their colleagues who are all at different stages and trying to explain to people what's in it for them and what will be better and how we will support them that's always at the forefront of our mind and and we do lots of work on comms and engagement and um working with different stakeholder groups which i'm sure that's natalie's uh, bread and butter as she does a lot of that in her role as, as project support officer yeah i'd completely agree rachel what you say about kind of those emotional reactions to change as well i know kind of any kind of uncertainty whether that's in your personal or professional life it is something that you have to work through so I think that's something that I'm conscious of when we're kind of planning stakeholder engagement opportunities and just to be kind of aware of that people are going through that kind of journey at different paces and speeds and um, so in terms of how we um, plan our communications we look at kind of key points in our project timeline and we also consider the different groups as well so something's going to have an impact on one group very differently than another group and it's important that we tailor our communications to that I think another thing as well around uncertainty people often want to know kind of the end result and sometimes we're not there yet and we have to build that trust that we are developing proposals and we will have that detail but we're not necessarily at that stage to do so yet so it's about giving the information that we have got in a way that's really relevant and meaningful to those groups but being honest when we don't have the answers to the questions that they've got and giving a, an idea of when we might be able to communicate that as well. Some good points have been raised there from both I think we just talked about the people element and 
definitely implementing change across an organization the size of the University of Liverpool is all about the people, isn't it? I think there's probably something in HE, probably particularly at the moment, where uh, there's probably more resistance to change than maybe I've I've come across before, especially in my time in local government as well. Change seemed to be the norm there, and change doesn't seem to be the norm uh, at the university, which although it's becoming that. So you've mentioned like working with stakeholders and partners and people, but how do you ensure, how do you actually ensure that it all doesn't go wrong? So what happens at the point where, you know, projects are maybe running over or over, over time, over budget, and there's a lot of rumours happening around them? How do you ensure that they don't fail as a result of that? I think this is something I've noticed from the methodology that Rachel's um, talked about previously, that there's a lot built in from the very beginning to ensure that doesn't happen. So I would notice from when I first joined and we had working groups for the project that I'm working on, for example, the representation from those groups early on are identified. So we've got a variety of stakeholders from the different areas at different levels, academic, professional services. And I think by having some form of resistance in terms of, oh, actually, I don't think that will work like that and having that conversation and kind of problem solving really to say okay why won't it work like that and what can we change or do differently so I think by having those conversations early on we can avoid the problems in the implementation phase because we've worked them through already I don't know what you would say about that Rachel yeah I think I think that's a good answer Natalie and I think also it's it's up to us really to make sure that we've got a very clear business case and a rationale for why we're making these changes because we, we accept that not everyone will be happy all of the time with all of the changes that we're bringing forward. So it's about having a really compelling vision and that strong direction in terms of why we want to change and where we want to get to that then you can gradually bring people on board to and that they will all uh, be at different stages of of getting on board and and some people may never get on board. And I think um, as project professionals, we need to be able to work with that to see how we can support individuals and teams to really understand what the change means for for them, why it will be better and how we will support them to to implement that change. So, yeah, there's there's definitely a lot that goes into it in, in the behind the scenes stuff that we do that that I think sometimes is seen as bureaucratic or admin heavy but it's actually about making sure we fully understand the requirements and the rationale and that we can create that compelling vision and plan and that plan's well thought through so that it, it does succeed and you know at the end of the day if it if it does start to fail, we're also not afraid to say we're on the wrong path here. We need to pause. We need to take stock and we need to change what it is we're planning to do. And um, we've we've done that recently with some of our major projects and programmes to really listen to what the stakeholder feedback is saying and actually change our direction as a result of that so that the outcome is better. And it, it's not admitting failure. It's actually about making sure that the end state is better than what we have now. I mean that's that's brilliant that you, you you've recognised that there's there's something in the design world called the sunk cost fallacy I think it's called I don't know if you've come across that where no. you put so much into a project or maybe for example a piece of software you invest so much time into it and you try to get it to a point where it's actually working you've spent so much time and energy and and, and cost into that where you become afraid not to keep on going. Yeah. Uh, because you know you can't say, oh we've spent 10 years on this we can't back out now well actually yeah. if you just take a bit of 
take stock, like you said, Rachel, this market might have moved on and there might be better um, systems out there for you to, to go with from scratch. And I think that's, that's a, a really interesting mindset that organizations get themselves into where we've spent too much on this for it not to be a success. Yeah. Yeah, I think, our, as Natalie said about the methodology, we the, the boring part maybe for those that aren't sort of um, seasoned project pros, but our methodology is aligned to the Association for Project Managers um, methodology. And we have a, a life cycle which goes through concepts all about generating ideas, definition, gathering those requirements and refining those ideas further, development, which is about the implementation and the delivery, and then handover and closure, which is about business readiness to accept the change and to to move on uh, so it becomes business as usual and I think each of those stages has a, a real clear checkpoint where we check in on is the business case still valid are we still doing the right thing are all of the stakeholders and relevant parties still happy with what the proposed change looks like and that gives us an, a nice structure to follow to make sure that we do have those checkpoints and we aren't going too far down a path that actually the end result will be failure so I think that helps us somewhat as well. I'd completely agree and I think it's also to do with the culture so in previous roles I've had outside of the organisation sometimes it can be seen as a failure and it's it's like why did that happen and who did that and how have we got here whereas I think it's very much a lesson learned culture here we all share from different projects and programs across strategic change what's worked well what hasn't and I think that's really useful in saying you know we are all in this together and we want the best result and it's not about you know necessarily have we started in the same place and ended in that same place that we thought we'd be in it's about the journey and making sure we achieve the objectives that we want to and really build upon that good practice and how much is the time that we're in at the moment this unique kind of coming out of the end of covid having on strategic change i i asked the question because matt and i had a conversation with an academic from king's college london the other day um something she said really struck me she said that Obviously, when we when we went online in terms of the development and the change around learning and teaching pedagogy, things moved really, really quickly and academics were up for a huge amount of change. And she her research now is all around that kind of lasting impact, how we can move forward and take some of those really good practices um, into our kind of ongoing learning and teaching practice. And she said her research has shown that the colleagues who want the academics who want to go back to pre covid ways of teaching, you know, giving a lecture for an hour to thousands of students, that kind of thing, is because right now they need to focus on their research. They've missed two years of research. So bringing in any kind of change now isn't going to work. So I'm guessing we're in quite a unique period in history where if you start introducing a huge amount of change now, maybe academics, maybe professional services as well are going to push back a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's a, a true reflection in terms of what we're experiencing in in people being a, a bit sick and tired of dealing with change, dealing with uncertainty and just wanting a bit of stability for, for the time being. Um, so we are very mindful of that and we are treading carefully to make sure that we're coordinating things well and we're not putting undue pressure on teams or um, areas because of the amount of change that is coming forward. We, we do try to coordinate things from a portfolio perspective. So Natalie mentioned about sharing lessons. We also share plans and we look at where 
there might be dependencies on on projects and programs or crossover in terms of we're all hitting the same team at that particular point in this year and can we try to spread that out a bit more thinly um i think as a team ourselves we obviously had to adjust to the the pandemic environment like everyone else did um and i, I think we've learned a lot of lessons just in how um agile and flexible we were to make changes quickly during COVID and and that has been a real success for us to understand how those structures and environments can work in a rapid way when you need to and when there is that real burning platform of needing to do something quickly so that was a a really good lesson Um, I think also just changing our thought process and our way of working so particularly for um, me and colleagues that were working on the the Campus Shield COVID project we were having to make decisions on a daily basis and think really fast um, not have time to think strategically or to look at development type work so adjusting from that style of working to then going back into a more development strategic focused type project and program environment has been a challenge and I think motivation suffers at times you know that we need to be kind to people uh, in terms of this this is this has been an unprecedented time that we've not dealt with before Um, and I think we are reflecting that in our project plans and and timescales to make sure that we are aware and conscious of that added pressure that that's brought. So what are the projects that you're working on at the moment and and what are some of the challenges that you're facing? Um, So we've got a a broad portfolio of work at the moment uh, focusing on student data systems programme, which includes things like learner analytics, attendance monitoring, a new student portal. Um, We've then got a large programme looking at our professional services delivery models and processes and systems there under the PS Futures banner. Um, And then we've got some of our um, smaller projects and programmes that are supporting institutional strategies. Um, There's a big piece of work at the moment on sustainability and us reaching our sustainability goals, um, work with FRCS colleagues on asset management data um, and looking at data more generally and how we bring that forward to have better informed decision making. Um, but if we talk specifically about PS Futures and Shared Service Centre, um, as those are the, the common areas of work for myself and Natalie, um, I think Natalie mentioned it before about some of the challenges in there's a general feeling that strategic change is this secret unit that sits in the foundation building and has all of these grand plans and answers to how we're going to solve some of these problems, but we don't share. And that's definitely not the case. So some of the challenge is about trying to take people along on a journey when you don't have the detail and you can't explain what the proposal will look like because you're still going through that process to reach that business case or that um, that final sort of proposal and model of, of what things might look like in the future. So trying to, to build trust and confidence in the colleagues that you need to be working with regularly is a challenge and uh, we, we try our best. We try our best to show that we're listening and that we're responding to feedback and, and making changes accordingly. But that can be um, really difficult to deal with at times because you want to be as open and honest as, as you possibly can be. Um, there's obviously 
sensitive areas that we have to go through due process for but trying to build that trust and confidence can can be quite a challenge um and we we do lots of uh, of work to try and build those networks and and show how we're responding to feedback to deal with that this is definitely the kind of biggest project I've worked on as well. And I think, as Rachel said, trying to reach out to that wide range of colleagues who feel like they might be impacted by the project. So one of the things that we did that I felt was really useful was we did a process mapping exercise. So there was 90 colleagues from across the university. We did 14 workshops looking at how the processes are currently delivered. And for me, that was really important because so many people want to have their voice heard on this project. And it's important that we give them the opportunity to do that. And we have the different perspectives as well, because as I mentioned previously, when I was working in different areas on my graduate scheme, I know that how something's done in one area might not necessarily be the way in another area. So it's important that we capture that and then feed that into our proposals as well. So although it's a challenge, I also think it's something about the job I really enjoy being able to speak to those wide range of people. I think another um challenge that we we always face and is probably common across many projects and programs is is resources because obviously as I said before change is on top of the day job so um, making sure that we've got um, the right level of engagement from the the relevant business areas that are involved in the projects and programs is is really important to us um, and particularly when it's uh, system improvements or process changes, it requires a lot of input from the, the business areas involved. So having a real clear plan of when you might need that resource and then agreement with those local areas about planning that workload in is, is really key to, to overcome some of those challenges in uh, resources. We can't always plan for those curveballs that are thrown in and, and um, do affect people's workload and ability to support projects and programmes but we we try our best to let them know when we'll need them and for how long. It's interesting hearing some of those challenges I guess particularly with the challenge of like people maybe being resistant because of you know what people have we've all been through in the last couple of years but with that resistance at least you're hearing their voices I, I suppose one of the biggest challenges must be the people who go quiet um, and don't come back to you on any of the changes that are being proposed. Um, have you had experiences of that? How, how do you deal with that? It must be one of your key skills, spotting them for one, and then trying to, you know, trying to coax them into some sort of engagement. Yeah, I, th- I think that's definitely one of the difficult forms of resistance to deal with because if if they're not interested, you need to find a way to make them interested, um, and it, it's often coming from a, a place of they really like the way things are done now, or they're fearful for what the change will look like for them in the future. So it's it's being um, respectful of that and understanding that they they will have a reason why they are resistant to the change. Um, as I said earlier, that that. There will always be people that continue to resist even when you've tried really, really hard to sell the benefits and to, to get them on board with what the change means for them and how it will be better. But being able to to listen and pro- provide enough opportunities for people to have their say and have input to whether that be process mapping, just general stakeholder engagement type activity and focus group feedback sessions or what have you just given as much opportunity to listen is is probably the best tactic um and then also having that clear 
vision and plan as to what you are trying to achieve and why is is really important always coming back to why are we doing this and what's the benefit of doing it so that you can try to get people on board I'd completely agree about the variety of opportunities that we give. So um, we might have an open meeting, for example, where the project leads could give an update. We'd have smaller working group meetings. We might have presentations. And I think that variety is really crucial because people do express themselves in different ways. And I think it's also important that we have them quite regularly as well. So someone might not have a sense of why they're resisting at one point whereas when they've got more detail they might be able to express that more fully to us so by giving regular opportunities I think we have the best chance of kind of capturing that feedback. Just going back to our sort of business partnering role that we do within projects and programs we always identify subject matter experts and um, colleagues from within the business area that can then support bringing people on board because it will always land much um, better coming from them than it will from us so all of our project governance and uh, comms and engagement structures have that as a core principle that there's someone from the business area that is we don't call them this but in a sense a change champion and can explain what the change means to their teams in a meaningful way that will help bring them on board and they are good for the project team to be able to reflect back how things are landing because we always tend to come at it from a positive perspective because we see that the change will be better and we understand the journey that we're going on to get to that better place um so we we can fall short of um not always spotting where those points of resistance might be or how particular language and terminology might land. So having those uh, local contacts is really crucial to be able to, you know, fully think that through. Although, you know, we've we talked a little bit, well, a lot about some of the challenges around driving change at an organisational level. I can hear in your voices that you both actually really enjoy it. And I can see in your faces that you really enjoy it as well. So, you know, what is it that motivates you about this? What is what is it about this particular sort of area that you both really love so much? I think for me as someone new to it, it really is the variety. So the different tasks that I can do on different days really kind of motivates me in my role. Um and I think as well, particular to this team, it is the team culture that I've talked about before, how we're also collaborative. It is challenging, but we support each other through that as well. So I think that's really critical to my enjoyment of the role, but also my own development as well. We're not afraid to say, oh, actually, you could tweak that and make that better. And I think that's really important for someone, especially at my point in my career. I think I'd echo what Natalie said just in terms of variety so working within a really diverse portfolio of of projects and programs we get to work with every team right across the university and we get to understand from a bird's eye view how things work and how it all fits together and we can spot some of those opportunities that maybe business teams that are working just in one area might not be able to see so having those um, moments where we're working as a portfolio team and we identify well actually this requirement's come through this project's already delivering something similar could we tweak it and make that even better that's a really fulfilling part of of our role is just being able to um support 
individual teams to make bigger strategic changes that on their own they wouldn't be able to to drive forward so that's that's a really satisfying part of of the job is is the scale really and the, and the complexity and the variety that we get on the the type of projects we do um, and i think we are really maturing as a, a center of excellence for project management and for um, project professionals so being able to provide that expertise and guidance and support I do a lot of uh, mentoring and advice and guidance to, to colleagues who are out in departments but working on projects and being able to to share that knowledge and expertise and have a template and a tried and tested way of, of working is, is really rewarding as well to support other people. Well, Rachel and Natalie, um, that's been really interesting hearing about your work. So thanks so much for sharing um, so much with us. This podcast is called the Developing Practice Podcast. And we love to finish each podcast with three or four take-home tips that our listeners can reflect on in terms of their own uh, professional practice. So if you were going to leave us with some tips, what would they be? Natalie, if we start with you. So I think something that kind of struck me across my graduate scheme was that change is involved in every role, regardless of what your job title is or if you're working on an official project with that title. So I think really seek opportunities to improve things in your local area, whether that's a working practice that you think, actually, we could do this differently or a process that you think, oh, do we need to do that step? Why are we doing that? What's it adding? I think everyone can get involved in change on any level across the organization and if people are interested in change we do have a change network so anyone can join that and we have regular drop-in sessions where people can discuss skills or knowledge that they need to develop that will help them in delivering and supporting change and then the other one is a bit more general I would say and it's just in terms of how I think I've helped myself to develop through the organization and how other people who if they are just starting on their journeys at university and would like to progress I just say be really open to new opportunities so I never thought at the start of the graduate scheme that this would be the role that I'm in now but through the kind of opportunities that I've had offered to me through the academy or through asking colleagues in my local area can you explain how you've approached this or how did you reach that decision that's all helped me in kind of getting into the role that I am now and it's a place that you know I'm really happy to be in. I think um, one of the the things that I I thought about when you asked me this question was uh, reflection in general. So within project management as as a tool, we encourage to log your lessons that you've learnt throughout managing the project, and um, it it's known as lessons learned. And I suppose they can't be learned until they're shared and then embedded. So really getting into the the practice of reflecting on your work thinking about what what's worked well what hasn't worked so well asking others for feedback as well and then sharing that with with a team so that you can really learn from that experience and continue to improve what is working and and stop what isn't maybe serving you so well we we do that within strategic change with our project managers network and it is a really effective process to make sure that we are continually improving how we're delivering and what we're doing and then the second uh, reflection that I had and wanted to share was just about resistance in general and I think um, certainly within the the last few months um, we we've 
come to accept that resistance is probably inevitable with change programs and it is about identifying where that is is coming from and and it's often coming from a good place because people are passionate about what they um, are involved with and what they care about and it's not always seeing resistance as a negative thing and don't try to um, avoid it or um, manage it but be able to identify it and and provide those opportunities to understand where someone's coming from, um, understand those different perspectives, and make sure that you're you're thinking about things from other people's perspectives rather than just your own. Brilliant. Well, thanks for your time today. Thank you. It was good Thank fun. You much. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Natalie and Rachel. One of the things that I picked up, what they were saying, was that strategic change often facilitate change and they don't actually do change to people. And their approach as a team is to ensure stakeholder voices inform their work so that they work together and build together with a view to appropriate change. Yeah, absolutely. I really like what they were saying about collaboration. I like that they acknowledge that often change projects are on top of the day job And so the team tries their best to collaborate with and work with their key stakeholders. So they were saying that certain things can't be imposed, for example, timings, and that they're fully aware that strategic change is sometimes perceived as a negative, but their aim as a team is to make things better. And so they try to communicate this through their work with their stakeholders. Well, if you'd like to take your thinking further, we've added some further resources to the website on a specific podcast reading list, which you can access at liverpool.ac.uk forward slash the hyphen academy forward slash podcast. And we always love to hear what you think about the various episodes that we put out. So please do let us know. You can tweet us at Live Uni Academy and you can also find us at Matt or at Alexandra underscore Owen on Twitter. Yep, and we're really grateful for those who have already taken the time to either rate or review our show in your podcast provider's app. But if you haven't done so already, please do review the show as it really will help others find us. Bye for now. Bye for now.